Welcome to Unity of Tucson. So there's a lot that's going on for me right now. Um, when Beryl sent me that song, she wasn't sure about it. You know, because what is the song talking about? It's talking about transition, right? It's talking about the physical transition from this plane of action, which many people refer to as death. Um, right? It's like, 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 that's a bad word. It's not. It's simply a transition. And, it's, and it ain't over when it's over. It ain't over when it's over. It's the whole point of the song. It ain't over when it's over. I do have a little bit of an issue with it's better on the other side. I'm not sure how I feel about that. I think it's as good as we can make it right here and right now. And it's going to be the same when we make our transition. And we get to decide that it's better right now. So that's just me. But Kelly Hunt can write the lyrics that she wants to write. And you get to sing the lyrics that she writes. And that's all good. But it ain't over when it's over. The soul lives on and it never dies. And I hold firm in that faith for myself as part of this teaching because the soul that you perceive as your own soul is your individualization of the infinite soul, which can never cease to be. It can never cease to be. And so no matter what, we continue in some way. I don't, I, and I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's reincarnation in the way that some people teach it. I, here's the thing. I don't think we go into a primordial soup I think the important thing to know is that the nature of the divine is to express. And so no matter what, when we shift and transition from this expression, we express in some other fashion. But while I'm here in this expression, I'm going to make the most of it. How about you? Yes. So I did just return back from Hawaii. Um, it was my ninth sacred journey experience in the last decade. I missed one year. Go figure, it was 2020. <laughs> and I've gone to this sacred retreat, which, which is the product of a couple of my colleagues who founded the Center for Spiritual Living Kauai there. They were classmates of mine. And um, while, we, while I was there, like every year I've gone, I'm like, oh, we go, we have all of these exciting events that unfold, and they do these workshops, and it's really, really great. This year, and they theme it every year. This year was the journey of remembrance, which I thought that's really an interesting kind of idea as a theme, the journey of remembrance. What are we remembering? Well, I can tell you what I'm usually striving to remember. It's to remember who I am and to live that every single day. So the journey of remembrance was actually a celebration of their 10th year in ministry there and the 10th sacred journey. And so they actually brought back a lot of the events that they had done in previous sacred journey experiences, and we got to experience them all over again. And every year, every year, there's something new to be gleaned from it. This year was no different. This year was no different. But before I tell you about how this year unfolded, I want to actually go back a little ways to 2004, before my colleagues were in ministry, before I was in ministry, we were eyeing that idea of stepping into the education to become ministers. In 2004, that's when I first walked into 
a New Thought community. I, was, I talked about it a couple weeks ago before I left, that I grew up unchurched. I'm not going to go and rehash all of that. I grew up unchurched. And I found myself in the New Thought community in 2004, I would say by accident, but there are no accidents. It was absolutely the right place for me to be, and I had attracted myself to that experience. That's the way the law of attraction works. I didn't, did not attract the experience to me. I attracted myself to the experience. Think about that. I walk into the NoHo Art Center for New Thought for the very first time, and I hear a minister, like I am now, speaking what I later adopted into my own heart as the truth for me. And it resonated with me in a way that felt right. That person that was speaking well, became my primary teacher and mentor and still a very, very dear, good friend, Dr. James Mellon, whom many of you met when he was here last year when he bestowed the doctorate um, on me. Part of that training, he introduced me to the concept of God for grown-ups. So, now I'm starting to tie it together. Today is the first Sunday of our Fall Renewal Series. And in the Fall Renewal Series, we invite everyone to participate in small group book study. And each Sunday, ostensibly, I, <laughs> I speak about the concepts for the chapters that you're invited to read for that week. So we're reading the book, The Five Principles by Reverend Ellen Devonport. And she's going through the five what they call the five basic principles of unity, and when you get into it, they're not so basic. They're simple ideas, and the embodiment of them are what we are all working towards, I believe. So in the first chapter, which is God is all there is, that's the first principle, God is all there is, she goes through this list and series of talking about God for grown-ups, and that's what I really came to understand and, and love about the New Thought philosophy when I was introduced to it almost 20 years ago now. So I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the things she says. So this is God for grown-ups. She talks about God for grown-ups in three ways. First, the first God for grown-ups is the one that meets us where we are and welcomes our questioning, growing, changing, and doubting. How many spiritual centers, and I'm going to use a different term for spiritual centers, how many churches? <laughs> William is like, no! <laughs> Have you ever walked into where they say, doubt your concept of God? That there is value in doubting your concept of God. And when I talk about doubt, the idea of doubt is to be in the questioning space, to allow yourself to say, is this true? Is this true for me? And if this is true, how will I choose to move forward with this as an adopted truth in my life? So the power of new thought philosophy for me, as I said before, is in the questioning. It is the invitation to question and to recognize that we are consistently on the journey. And you're probably not going to like this, but there's no destination because it ain't over when it's over. There's no destination. We're in a consistent, unfolding journey. And then she talks about religions. Religions are... i got to put my glasses back on. Religions are but feeble attempts to describe our varied experience of the unknown, Ellen Devonport wrote. 
We need a growing, malleable image of God that expands with each spiritual insight we glean. Are you willing to expand a malleable image of God as you gain insight in your life? Is that part of a practice for you? And I want to acknowledge, too, that I have come very far, even in the New Thought movement, to step forward and hold firm in this place of faith, to be able to step up and say, I am God, you are God, because there can be nothing separate from the infinite. How can I be anything other than that? I'm going to, again, give the caveat, which I give every time I say this, which is to say, I am not saying I am the allness of God. I am not saying that I have great dominion over you, but I do have dominion in my experience of life because I have thoughts. I am a thinker, and my experience of life is rooted in the thought. And so as I have the experience of life, I have dominion around my relationship to the experience in the thoughts that I have about the experience. And so if I'm having an experience that sucks, you ever hear that on a Sunday? (laughs) If I'm having an experience that sucks, I get to change my mind about it. I get to reframe it in my own mind. And you know what happens for me? The experience transforms itself for me, even in light of the exact same circumstances. So in New Thought, I'm, a, I'm an outlier. I think, I, think, I think we're kind of moving in this direction to truly stop duality in our teaching in the language that we use, duality meaning God out there in some fashion. Now, God is out there, and I want to let you off the hook. If that's where you are, that's okay too, but be willing to look at it. Be willing to look at it and say, maybe if I adopted the idea that I am that which is, my life would be different if that's what you're seeking. So, the first God for grown-ups idea, God as one that meets us where we are and welcomes our questioning, growing, changing, and doubting. Second, God for grown-ups has to be more than Santa Claus. (laughs) How many of us write our letter to Santa Claus asking, pleading for the gift? You are the gift. You are the gift. Can you understand that? At least that's how I perceive you. I see you as the gift. How do you see yourself? God is not Santa Claus. God is not coming down the chimney and giving us presents. God is the magnificence that we are. And you know what I love about this idea? Is it alleviates any concept that there is punishment for the way I experience my life. There is no punishment. And there is no salvation. How many, how many, for how many of us is that a direct contradiction to what we were taught growing up in our religion of origin, in our spiritual idea of origin? There is no salvation, except in this way. <laughs> what we need to be saved from, and there's no one who can do this except us, We need to be saved from our own erroneous thinking. And we are the only ones who can do that. It doesn't matter how many words of wisdom I spew from up here. 
it will do nothing for you until you decide for yourself that you are the Savior in your own life. There is no Savior out there. You are the Savior. There is no naughty or nice. There is no naughty or nice. God, she continues, is the creative force far outside the human pattern of thinking. Any limits to God are our own. Any way that we limit the concept of God, that's our own doing. And it makes it a challenge, too, because we can't really understand or conceptualize the infinite, because the moment we try to conceptualize the infinite, well, in that conceptualization, we've now put borders around it, and the infinite has become finite. So there's no way for us to truly conceptualize the infinite. So you know what the infinite is for me, and this is how I know that I have a relationship with as God? I feel it. It is beyond language. It is beyond thought. It is a feeling. It is an energetic impulse. It is the vibration of all that is, and I recognize myself as part of the wholeness of it. While we were here, um, and Elizabeth was offering her prayer, and I was standing back here, I became acutely aware of the birds outside. Did you hear the birds outside? Like, they were, and I've never heard that from inside here, and I just started thinking, wow, we are all in this together. We are an energetic wholeness that is all in this together, including the birds, including, including, and including, and including. It also invites us into a space of responsibility to really address our thoughts and our beliefs. And as we observe the circumstances all around us, and there are a lot of circumstances to observe. Turn on the television, you're going to see a lot of circumstances to observe. You get to decide your relationship to those circumstances and whether or not you are in alignment with what we say every week. My thoughts, my actions, my intentions, my deeds are rooted in the inner peace that I am. And as I allow that to inform my experience, I am a center of peace for the entire world. And it can be hard, not going to deny that, because we can watch the television. I'm trying not to, but we can watch the television and... Make a decision. Any limits to God are our own. And so I'm going to invite us all to unlimit ourselves more so today than ever before. God's, well, okay, so now I'm going to talk about God because the language is clumsy. I'm going to talk about God as though God is a being. Right? Like, what? But you. I'm going to talk about God as though God is something, and it is. It's all thing. But if God were something and God had a desire of unfoldment, that would be its only desire, unfoldment. Today's talk is called the impulse to impress, the impulse to impress. That is what God is. God is the impulse to impress. The impulse meaning a driving motivation or force. That is a consistent movement of energy. That impulse is a consistent movement of energy. And God is this consistent movement of energy to impress or to apply an imprint. And what follows in that mental imprint is the expression of life. So God is the impression, and what we are experiencing is the expression. That's all that God is, the creative force that is all that is. And that's all that God is, the impulse to impress 
and from that flows expression. Third part of God for grown-ups is this. God, most people want to believe, is involved in their lives. How involved are you in your own life? Or are you deferring that involvement to something outside yourself? Here's the thing. It can sometimes feel good like we're, we're wrapped up and held by a parental figure. But I think it's time that we be God for grown-ups. What do you believe? Is God involved in your life? And really the follow-up is to really live that question. How involved am I in my own life? Descriptions of the divine force in the world have blossomed into a fascinating array of expressions, she continued on. There are as many expressions as there are impulses to impress. And that is infinite. If God had desire, if God had desire, there would be only one desire, impression leading to expression. God wants to express. That is life. Life wants to happen. I saw it on the sacred journey. There was one day we were at the 88 shrines, uh, the Loai uh, Institute. There are 88 Buddhist shrines. They are a representation of a pilgrimage in Japan. And it's actually a pilgrimage that I'm thinking about now that I've walked the Camino. It's a little bit longer, it's a thousand kilometers. But there was a fallen tree near the shrines. And from that tree was new growth. And it is always, when I see things like that, it is always a reminder to me that life wants to happen. Life wants to happen. So I'm gonna tell you a little bit more about my week in Hawaii. Because this actually goes into alignment with what she gets to a little bit later in the chapter when she starts talking about, under the heading, terrible things happen. And those terrible things butt up against our belief system sometimes and make us question what it is we are experiencing. So last Sunday, a week ago today, um, I was, so I was staying with Rita and Patrick. James was staying with Rita and Patrick as well. And get up in the morning, pretty early usually because, you know, 4.30 a.m. is not so bad for me because it's 7.30 a.m. in Tucson, so I was sleeping in that day. <laughs> Get up, have some coffee, have a quick bite to eat. James gets up, he comes downstairs. Rita and Patrick are bustling around trying to get themselves ready to get out the door to go to their spiritual center so that they can hold their Sunday celebration. James and I stay behind because we're going to follow along in another car behind them. Uh, about an hour after that, Rita and Patrick leave, and James comes up to me and says, Jonathan, I think I need to go to the hospital. Okay, he says, I don't, didn't want to tell Rita and Patrick this because I don't want to derail them emotionally before they lead their Sunday service. He said, I think I may have had a heart attack last night. He had been feeling pain in his left shoulder 
in his left arm. He had had an injury in his left shoulder, so he wasn't sure if the pain he was feeling was related to the injury or something else going on. But he said, I woke up in the middle of the night, shortness of breath, I have this pain in my arm, I wanna make sure that I go to the hospital. I said, okay, let's go to the hospital. He said, after church. Are, are you sure? Yeah, after church. Okay. So we go to church, and we go. We have the experience of sitting there as sacred journeyers, and they do a whole thing. They process the sacred journeyers in. There's 20 of us. We do a procession in, and the whole community in Kauai and their community welcomes us. It's so grateful to have you here, and blessings on this unfoldment of your week and all of this. And James comes in, and he's... When we get down at the end of the procession, they've left one chair here and one chair there over on the other side, but James knew that he wanted me to sit next to him, so he turns to everybody and says, can you all move down? <laughs> <laughs> and it is, it's very James um, in, a, in a lot of ways. So everybody gets up and they move down a seat, and, and so we sit down. And he took my hand, and I can feel his hand shaking basically through the whole service, but he doesn't want to upset the cart. What he did not know is that they were giving him an award that day, too. And so he was invited to come up on stage and receive an award. And the minute the service was over, he walks up to me and says, we need to go right now. So I get him in the car. We didn't even call 911. I should have called 911. But we also didn't want to upset the car. We don't want everyone to freak out. We get in the car. We drive to the hospital. We go in. They do the tests, the blood, blah, all that stuff. Um, yes, sir, you are having a heart attack. We need to medevac you right away over to Oahu. And so, that was the Sunday of a sacred journey that began on Friday night. And so, the remainder of the sacred journey for me was mostly spent in the hospital with him. Now, I want you to know, he's fine. He is absolutely fine. Um, they went in. We met, I went with him in the little plane over the ocean <laughs> to Oahu. Not necessarily the kind of private flight I'd ever like to have again. We get there rush him to the hospital, they go in, they prep him, they go in the ca uh, cardiac catheterization, they go in, they look, they install three stents. He's in ICU, things are going well, the numbers are, are evening out, everything is going fine, right? And what's unusual is they actually discharged him from the ICU, they didn't move him to a regular room. You never get discharged from the ICU. Right? So they discharged him. They said, you're doing so well, we're going to discharge you from the ICU. Great. Discharge. We go back to the airport. We buy our... They, they get you over there, but then you have to get your own plane tickets to go back. <laughs> so we go to the airport, we buy our tickets, and we take our flight back to Kauai. And James says, I think I'm just going to lay low. I might go, if something doesn't seem too stressful, I might go to part of the sacred journey. I'm like, great. Um, so relaxed time for the next couple days. Wednesday night, we go to the beach bonfire. I said, James, I think maybe go out to the beach, enjoy the ocean. You don't have to do anything except just sit there. So we go to the beach bonfire. So if you saw pictures, you'll note that's kind of the only pictures I put forth that whole week. Um, Thursday morning, he gets up. I think we need to go back to the hospital. Okay, this time we called 911. Yeah. Um, Paramedics arrive, they take him to the hospital, and they do all the tests again, and they, th they say, well, we think you might be having a second heart attack. And so, 
Off we go again, get back onto our private flight over to Oahu, and we go back to the hospital and go into the, uh, this time they didn't put him in the ICU, they put him into a regular room, and the cardiologist comes up, and he's standing there, and he's talking to James, and he says, you know what, given, now that I'm speaking with you, and I'm seeing what I'm seeing, I'm actually not worried. We're going to do another cardiac catheterization, but I'm going to go in, and I'm going to expect to see absolutely nothing. That's a mind. That's a great cardiologist who says, my expectation is that we're going to find nothing. I want that person to work on me if I ever, I'm never, no, I don't welcome that into my life. <laughs> but if that were to happen, I would want that man as my cardiologist. They went in, found nothing. Everything is fine. So whatever he was experiencing, they have some ideas about what, may, what it may have been, but he was fine but we spent the night in the hospital. I spent the night sleeping on a reclining chair next to him. And um, wake up the next morning, they do the tests, they discharge him, we fly back to Kauai. That was on Friday, and I got back just in time to go have lunch, pack myself, and get on a plane coming back to the mainland. So the sacred journey was a little different for me this year. <laughs> and I could look at that part of the book where Ellen Devonport talks about terrible things happening, and I can look and say, wow, that was a really terrible thing that happened. But where am I placing my conscious power? Where am I placing my conscious power? Am I placing my conscious power on the revealing of the divinity in the situation? Or am I going into fear and allowing fear to drive my experience? Life is consciousness. Life is consciousness. And life wants to happen. James is fine. He's absolutely fine. Our mind is the place where we are experiencing reality. And we are living by constantly creating ideas in mind that show up as the way we experience reality. We have a jargon term for that. We call those ideas in mind that show up in our reality as the mental equivalent. Whatever we are thinking is showing up in our life. That is God's nature. That is our impulse to impress. The mental equivalent is the impression that shows up as the expression. And so it's a call to each and every one of us to this idea. How are we choosing to impress with the idea of our own expression? It all is rooted in that first principle. God is all there is. And every circumstance, whether we call it good or bad, is simply a circumstance. We're the ones who describe it. And so there's a lot of lessons that I will be learning through this experience. I'm not going to deny. I'm probably still in a little bit of a stress response. I probably have a tremendous amount of uh, adrenaline and cortisol running through my system. And I may have, I may have a crash later. How will I choose to experience that circumstance? That's the lesson. Because if God is all there is, that must be who we are. And that's actually next week's talk. Hi, this is Reverend Jonathan Zenz. And I want to thank you for listening to the podcast of my Sunday message. Your financial support will ensure that we can continue to offer this as an option for inspiration. You can make your tax-deductible contribution in any amount on our website, 
unitytucson.com. Once again, thank you for listening. You are magnificent. Namaste.